Well, good morning, Hope Church. It's a real joy and a privilege to me for me to be part of this uh, meeting today. Uh, I hope you're all doing well in these challenging, challenging times, both individually and as a church corporately together. And I just wanted to, before I get into the word, I just wanted to uh, speak to you with the word encouragement. I just felt that that was a, a word that I wanted to bring to you today. We need to be rich at this time in really encouraging one another. I mean, there's so many reasons to be discouraged. There's so many things that are frustrating. There's so many things that are unknown and challenging. And um, there are times in my life at the moment when I just don't know whether I'm feeling anything but slightly discouraged. I'm discouraged, obviously, about how long this is going on for. I'm a bit discouraged because I can't see people. I don't know how people are getting on. I'm discouraged because it's difficult to initiate new, fresh things in your life. In fact, life does seem to be quite samey and rather predictable. I can sometimes be a bit discouraged about church because obviously we're doing the best we kind of can in these situations, but we all know that we're missing out. We're we're not um, receiving everything, the fullness of what church should really be like. And, and so this is a time when it is easy, almost natural, to feel somewhat discouraged. However, in the midst of that, the Bible tells us to encourage one another and gives lots of reasons why we should do that. And if ever there's a time for you, Hope Church, and for us as individuals to encourage one another, then it's a time like this. I think we need to lean into it. So find ways to encourage people around you in your life. Find ways to encourage your leaders at a time when I speak to leaders all the time and many of them are struggling or finding it quite difficult. Go out of your way to encourage them and don't even just think encouraging thoughts. I think English people tend to think and because they're just thought encouraging thoughts, they somehow think that's enough. It's not good enough to think them. Find ways to say them. Speak to people, phone people. Let's be rich in encouraging one another at this time. In fact, let us as a church be a model for the wider society in which we live, where so many things are being said that are divisive and discouraging and kind of a bit angry, <clears throat> that we as the people of God should exemplify what it means to truly encourage one another and right across the new ground family of churches we're spending as much time as we can just encouraging people in their walk with God you know there'll come a day when this thing will pass and we will look back and one of the things I hope we'll say is we really learn in the midst of that trial to encourage one another how much more should we continue to be a community of encouragement in the days to come so just receive that from me. I just wanted to share that with you. These are challenging times, unknown. When's this gonna kind of come to an end? But today is another day, as another opportunity for me to encourage my brothers and sisters, my neighbors, um, my family, the leaders that I serve. And I just want you to be rich as a community in the whole area of encouragement. Well, I'm so um, happy to be with you today and to be part of your series uh, in Luke's Gospel. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Hopefully these words will come up on the screen. And um, I want to start just by reading verse uh, 1. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. He actually tells three parables. The reason I wanted just to highlight verses 1 to 3 is to remind us that there were two groups of people that were listening to Jesus. And the reason that's important is because the parable I'm about to speak to you about it directly speaks to these two groups of people and these two groups of people are all around us today. So we're going to look at the story of what is called the parable of the lost son. I've entitled this word today the parable of the two lost sons. And I actually think to call this the parable of the lost son is completely missing the point of the parable. So as we go through, I'm sure you'll agree with me that is the case and we'll see why. So it's quite a long passage, but I'm going to read it to us uh, together. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music as he was coming and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, and he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
he has he who has devoured your property and prostitutes and live with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him son you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and he is found this is such a familiar parable that many of us have heard many times before and yet I believe it's actually very much misunderstood even the title the parable of the lost son is a misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually trying to address in this passage and today as we go through this I actually want to make it applicable to us as a church in this COVID season I actually think God wants to speak to us as a church through this parable and about our attitudes to those around us. As I've already mentioned, there are two groups that Jesus is addressing. There's all these people sitting around him and they are sinners and they are lost. And, and there's another group of people which are the Pharisees who are really looking down on Jesus because he's messing about with, he's hanging around with these lost sinners. The two groups of people Jesus illustrates in this parable, describing them as the younger brother and as the older brother. And this group sitting around Jesus, the younger brothers, were those who were the sinners. They had clearly broken all the laws and the Jewish commandments. And they knew it. And they were people who were aware that they needed some kind of salvation. The second group of people, these Pharisees, the older brothers, had kept the laws and had kept the commandments and were very, very proud about it and kind of had no need of salvation. As long as they kept the laws, they were saved. They were complete in themselves. I remember listening to this story in Sunday school. I don't know why, but I always had this funny thing about what it must have been like for the younger brother to, to try and feed with the pigs. I found that very, very exciting and how messy it must have been. But you know, the misunderstanding I would have got as a child and many of us may still have today is this wasn't actually a sweet, sentimental story about someone who'd been so lost and then had been with the pigs and then came back and the father met him. Isn't that actually wonderful? As if the crowd were all going, oh, what an amazing story. This actually would have caused outrage. And especially to those who were like the elder brothers. There's no one applauding this story. There would have been offense and outrage as a result of what's being said. Let's just work through some of this passage and then we'll bring some application into our lives. It is an amazing story, isn't it, of the younger brother. It's an amazing picture of God and his grace. I mean, the younger brother's behavior is absolutely dreadful. It is, to say the least, insulting for him to go to his father and say to him, give me my inheritance now, which should only have been given to him when his father died. But he says, no, I want my inheritance now. And he's self-centered, and at that moment, he totally rejects his father. He has all this money, and we know the story, he squanders it all. And then he comes to the, a place where he knows that he's really messed up badly. I love the phrase, we, 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 he kind of comes to his senses. He 
comes to the end of himself. He's as good as dead. He has no future. He's dying of starvation. And actually, for a lot of people, they do need to come to the end of themselves. Salvation's never going to happen. And there's some people come to the place where there's nowhere else to turn. They've come to the end of themselves. And at that particular moment, he has this thought in his mind, I wonder if it's at all possible that my father will have me back. I'm not going to come back as his son. I'm pretty sure of that because I've so messed up badly. But just maybe if I could be like the hired servants, then maybe I could find my way back to him. I, I, I could repay something of the way that I've messed up. Unbeknownst to him, as he trud trudges back towards home, the father is watching for him. What an amazing picture this is of our God, our Heavenly Father, who is longing and watching and waiting. And of course, the, the symbolic thing would have been they had flat roofs, and the Father, maybe every day it seems to be like that, would be standing there. It doesn't that, we don't know how long his son was away, but he would have been standing there for a long period of time, day after day, just watching for the possibility that his son might return. And he sees him coming in the distance. And it's very specific in this passage. He runs towards him and embraces him. This would have been very countercultural for an, the father to kind of pick up his loins, as it were, and leg it down the road. I mean, it would have been outrageous behavior for the patriarch of the house to do so. Such is the picture that Jesus is painting of the heart of God towards people who know they're lost and who know that they are sinners. It's a remarkable story of the one-sided, unfair love of God. And then, of course, the son comes and he puts on this massive feast. It's like his grace is lavish. It's almost overboard. He's so rejoicing that he puts this amazing feast on and no 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 you won't be my hired servant you're my son and you always will be from now on all of us whatever our background have been lost and have been found all of us you and me every one of us we have been found by the love and mercy of god and let's never ever forget it, it doesn't matter how long you've been a christian this parable reminds you of the unfair, one-sided love of God. He ran to you. The moment your gaze went to him, he was already running to you. And I just want to say this today because there may be some people listening to this or watching this who maybe once knew the love of God and have now gone far away. I don't think this is just a word for people who've come to Jesus for the first time. But actually, it is a word, because we do use the word prodigal son. For those of us who maybe have fallen far away from God, and we may be feeling, well, I've really messed up, even as a Christian. And yet, I want you to know today that this Heavenly Father, the moment you turn to Him, is running to you, to embrace you once again. And if you have wandered away, that's how God is towards you. Just turn, and He will run back to you and embrace you with all of His heart. But this is also a parable about the elder brother as well. And these Pharisees that were listening to Jesus thought they were already saved. And this passage of scripture speaks to them and says this, you are just as lost. 
That's why this is the story of the two lost sons. These people are just as lost as, as the younger brother who's been way away and squandered all of his inheritance. They believe they were saved through works. They believe that by keeping the commandments and doing good, that that would be enough. They worked hard at being righteous. They were moralists. They were legalists. They had no need of God. They would do it themselves. And the picture that's painted here of the elder brother is quite stark. I believe the problems that the elder brother had we're right back there in verse 12 when the younger brother says to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me now. And he says, and he divided it. Now, you may not know this, but when you were the older brother, when your father died, you got two thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother would have got a third. But because the father gives the inheritance before he's died, it's halved. So right here, the older brother has just lost, you know, another third of what was coming his way. I just think the seeds of anger must have been in him at that time. It's very interesting that this parable is in the context of two other parables, which I believe that you've looked at already as part of this series. So Jesus has just spoken to the crowd around him about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And of course, it's all about people searching and going to find those who are lost. I don't know if it occurs to you, but in the parable of the, the lost younger brother, no one goes to search for him. It's quite a stark contrast to the previous two parables. And there's a reason for this, because someone should have gone and looked for him. It wouldn't have been the father. That wouldn't have been appropriate. But the elder brother should have said to the father, Father, I'll go and look for him. But he doesn't, because you can sense this, this sense of anger that's brewing up within him which then comes to the boil when the younger brother comes back. And you can read it from verses 25 to 29, all sorts of things. He comes, he hears the sound of music. He's kind of despising celebration and partying. What's that all about? And notice this, he refuses to go in to join in the feast. In fact, he stands outside the feast and he speaks to a servant and says, what on earth's going on? And the servant tells him and he still refuses to go in to the party. And guess what happens? The father has to come outside of the feast to speak to him. This is very significant. So he's now coming out of his own party to speak to this elder brother who's outside. And the elder brother says, look, this 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 son of yours it's almost like he's not even my brother anymore and even the word look is significant it's so disrespectful to the father the father's already had to come out of the feast and now he's disrespectful towards him and he says to him look it's like saying look here you you can't treat me like this all my works all the good things that i've done over the years and you just disregarded them. You never even gave me a goat. You've given him the fattened calf. It's like overboard celebration. In other words, the elder brother hates grace. He hates the father's attitude. In fact, grace threatens him in his entire life of building up his own salvation. I find it fascinating at this part of the story of the parable that the younger brother who has been out is now in. 
and the elder brother who's always been in is now out. He's literally standing outside. God's grace is then given to the Pharisees when the father says to the elder brother, all that I have has always been yours. He's still embracing the elder brother with all these bad attitudes and saying, come on, you're my son too. I want to win you too. This is the story of one group of people who know they're lost. And this is a story of another group of people who don't know they're lost. And I think when you don't know that you're lost, it's even a greater difficulty to come to grace. So let's now apply this parable into our lives as individuals and the church. These two groups of people we've described today are alive and well in Seven Oaks. First of all, there are people who are all around us who are hopelessly lost and they know it. And they don't honour God and they're very, very wayward and they don't honour God's word and they're very rebellious, but they are lost. Most people who are like that are not really looking to Jesus. They're not really turning up at our churches to find out. Some are, but lots of them are lost and they know they're lost and they know they're messed up. But it hasn't occurred to them that they need the grace of God in their lives. The second group of people all around us in Seven Oaks are religious people, moralists. There are church goers who come to church week by week and don't really know the gospel of grace. I believe in this country, after the war, maybe probably right up to the 70s, there was a vast amount of our population who thought that they were Christians, that's the term they would do, because they would be good enough to get to God. Now we are surrounded by a whole load of moralists who think they are good enough, but they don't go to church, and they're not interested in what Jesus actually says. This is the new norm now. I'm okay if I live a good life. I don't need to add to this. And a lot of these people all around us in Seven Oaks who, on the surface at least, look like they're good people, they don't break the laws, they don't break the commandments, they're doing the best they can. They're people also that are highly offended by the message of grace. While our younger brothers will rejoice in the grace of God, we're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus but will be very offended at this message of grace. So I want to close this morning by by bringing a bit of a challenge to us all. The challenge is this, Jesus consistently attracted irreligious people. He attracted sinners who knew they were sinners and somehow they felt welcomed and loved by Jesus. And the challenge is this, today, the kind of outsiders that Jesus attracted do not seem to be easily attracted to contemporary churches like yours and mine. They're all around us, but they're not thinking, I'll go to church or I'll find some Christians, maybe they've got the answer. I think this, that something desperately needs to change. And I'm wondering whether this whole COVID season is about that change and that a new era is going to emerge here in the Western world, in the church, where this gospel is going to be good news both for younger brothers as well as elder brothers at the same time. For the younger brothers, people lost but are not looking 
for God. They do need to hear us and watch us proclaim and demonstrate the grace of God. In other words, as a church, Hope Church, you need to emerge from this time differently. And one of the differences to become a church that really does welcome messed up people who at the moment would rather stay with the pigs than actually come to the grace of God around us. And therefore, if we're going to become that sort of church, we're going to have to take up messed up people into our lives. There's going to be cost and inconvenience. There's going to be sacrifice. But where we are at a place where we have received grace, it won't feel like sacrifice for us to give grace to those who are around us. And just a quick word. I've been a Christian many, many years. I actually find myself sometimes with an elder brother attitude towards younger brothers who are lost and coming to the grace of God. It's a sad thing to have to admit, but I can just kind of look down on people with their What's the matter with them? I tut at the world and all its problems and difficulties, not realizing it wasn't so long ago that I was in the same situation. And then these do-gooders that live in Seven Oaks. I've read articles about Seven Oaks over the years, and apparently you are one of the places in the country that's the most popular place to, to live and to educate your children. So it's obviously got a real sense of kind of, this is a good place for us to be in, to live. And yet we need to be a church that reaches out to these do-gooders. And good news for us who are trying to proclaim this gospel is the moralist's world is right now being redefined. All our do-gooders are in trouble at the moment. Certainties of morality are now under threat. Morality is actually being redefined. There's no truth anymore. And even the ground during COVID that people thought was secure, I'll build my life here, I'll be religious, I'll do good, good. It's really all falling apart. Humanity isn't as good as people thought it was. And the certainty of the 1950s and 60s and 70s seems to be going rapidly. This is a great time. For people who think they're good enough without Jesus to come to a place where they realise all my good works are as nothing. I need the gospel. And so Hope Church needs to emerge, and I'm finishing with this, as a community from this parable that needs to be saying, Lord, would you help us to reach out to the younger brothers with all their mess? For some reason, many of them are not attracted. Would you make us attractive as the light of the world, shining your love and light to them? And also all the people around us who think that life is good enough. I think COVID is trying to get their attention. This isn't good enough. It's not going to work. You need salvation. And Hope Church will emerge as a church that's able to reach those as well. Let's pray for ourselves that we might have compassion. And that we might, like the Father, run to anybody who reaches out for the love and mercy of Jesus. God bless you.